Classic Harrison Price for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. You want to make it a staycation on a game night? Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Ask for the Sakarison Price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sakaris alongside Jeff Patterson sitting in for Blake Price this week. Grady Sass hitting switches alongside Madison Buckingham. We have a big show planned for you. It's all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Langley, the 2023 Nissan Rogue. 24-month lease, 0% on select trims. The 2023 Nissan Qashqai, 36-month financing here at 2.99% on all trims. And the 2024 Nissan Leaf, starting from $82 a week, plus a $500 loyalty rebate. As they say, it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, we're asking you, have you started considering Elias Pettersson trades? Yes or no, you can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and on YouTube. Good morning. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Busy day for J-Pat today. Right. He's got the game to cover and he's got the show to do A double shift, sure. And Canucks Convo, right? You're doing a hit on Canucks Convo. Yes, yeah. Full day for J-Pat. Mm-hmm. Can't get enough of J-Pat, especially this time of year. That's all right. Pittsburgh in town, Sid's here. Right. event. Uh, we'll see if the Canucks can back up the win over Boston. And uh, if they can't, then it's uh, one step forward, one step back. But Some of my first days here in Vancouver in December 2007 brought Sidney Crosby in the pens. Remember it well. The long-awaited appearance of Sidney and the pens because, of course, there was a lockout that complicated things. He did not come to the, what was it, uh, CHL All-Star, the top prospects right. game yeah. here. So there was all this buzz in the city for Sydney's arrival. And uh, that was the overtime game with a penalty shot. Yes. Roberto Luongo, it was uh, quite a night at Rogers Arena. There was great crackle and electricity that night. Got tripped up by Aaron Miller in overtime. You remember that, huh? So he faces Luongo on a penalty shot in overtime. Louis gets the better of him to the shootout, and here we go again. That's right. Chris Letang, am I right? Did Chris Letang end it? The Pens win that night? I think Chris Letang scored. I want to say Eric Christensen scored the winner, and I say that because he was a former oh Camelot Blazer. Oh, but there's Look reason. at the recall here. Uh, I stand to be corrected, but I seem to think that Eric Christensen, who was a, a little bit of a shootout specialist, was the guy okay. that ultimately put the dagger in. But, yeah, I mean, since played 1,245 career regular season games in the NHL, this will be his 11th I game know. in the NHL it's in Vancouver. Terrible. Of course, he's got the history at Canada Hockey Place, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, just 10 games. Now, he's had a two-goal game. He's had a three-point game. Somebody pointed out that not the last time in, but the time before, that was the end. Oh, right. That was the end. That was the jersey on the ice, Benning and Green's last stand. Yeah. But he's still not Mario against the Canucks. What's the stat you gave me about what Mario uh, uh, did I had against it. Is it 61 the... points in 26 games like or something? Two-plus <laughs> points a game for Mario over his career yeah. against the Vancouver Canucks. Okay. We're going to start on the poll question here. Yep. Have you started considering trades for Elias Pettersson? I haven't in terms of you know, what could he fetch on the market, who could give up the goods, but I have started to wrap my head around the idea that this may not end the way that Canuck fans, many Canuck fans, want it to. And so on that front, I answered no to the poll question, but okay. I have sort of changed my stance on... 
again, we just don't know what's going through his mind. And I see a lot of people saying, he said he won't talk until the end of the season, leave it alone. But it doesn't work that simply. Like, it just it doesn't. There's an organization that has business to take care of. He's his big fish that's going to command a massive price. We know that. They've put the offer on the table. He hasn't said why. Uh, he hasn't given any indication why the offers that are apparently there or have been placed before him in his camp uh, yeah. aren't of interest at this stage. So it may just be that he's kicking it to the offseason. Fair enough. But it does back up the process of trying to build this organization moving forward. And I'll give you an example. Elias Lindholm. You have time here with Elias Lindholm where you can negotiate a contract extension for him. Keep him here longer term, not make him a rental player. Now, we'll get into Lindholm here in a second and his performance as a Vancouver Canuck, which you know, may cut that off at the pass. Who knows? But let's say the Canucks wanted to talk to Elias Lindholm now. Great. If you wind up getting resolution, agree to terms, do you sign that contract before you sign Elias Patterson? That may not go over well politically. So that's one of the many things that gets a little more complicated for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine without having knowledge of Elias Patterson's future and whether it will be here in Vancouver as we get to our top story today, and it is the final push to see if you can get Pedersen re-signed before the March 8th trade deadline. That's a week from Friday, everybody. I'll answer the poll, Jeff, and say yes. Yes, I have considered Elias Pedersen trades. It had sort of been knocking around in the back of my brain all year uh, as this stalemate has continued, but it really ramped up this weekend with the Elliot Friedman report, the teams are calling on Elias Pettersson. I think, and this is somewhat no-duh, but it's also something that I think is a little ominous for the Vancouver Canucks. Darren Dreger talking this morning about this is not about the financials. I mean, it's usually about the financials, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually when there's so much money at stake, done by now with a restricted free agent. I'm going to have my say more with regards to some of the leaks that are coming out on this, some of the noise that is around this file right now, and fully understanding that the Canucks are frustrated with this at this stage. That's a word that many of the insiders have used, and understandably so. But I would like your take on this environment here with the Canucks clearly expressing a frustration in the back channels, laying out the fact that teams are calling them, and what that means and what that does to this process, if anything, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess at some level it feels to me, and this is just my read on it, that the fact that the Canucks frustration is now making its way into the public, they feel like they're being ghosted by this guy. Even though he plays on the team and he's in the locker room, they can't seem to get an answer from him or his camp and I think on some level it feels like a little bit of disrespect that the reports that we've had are that at some point, whether it was earlier in the season or before the season, they said, like, we're here, we're willing to talk, we're willing to go to your number, basically. What is your number? And they just can't get an answer from the player or 
his representatives. And so I, I part of me understand like this isn't oh this is just business. This one feels a little bit different now. It does. And well, because if it's not about financials, you're left to wonder what is it? Is it organizational culture? Is it dressing room culture? That's the is thing. it teammates? We is it fishbowl? But because is because it... he's gone into this cone of silence, like we don't know what he wants, what ultimately drives his motivation. Like, you know, I, I guess people here in Vancouver, great city. Like, you know, is there mm. are there other locations? Like, is he going to hand pick if he if it's not Vancouver? Does he have his eye on you know hand picking a target and that's not he's not an unrestricted free agent so mm-hmm. there is some risk for him in this that ultimately the Canucks if they do have to and again we're getting ahead of ourselves but if it gets to the point that they feel that they have no other choice but to trade him they're going to do what's best for them they're not doing well, what's best for him and there it, are some places in this league that he may not want no, to No, and that's in. fair enough. But given that he holds one of the cards in terms of I would not be willing to extend in that market, he has an opportunity to winnow the list by mm-hmm. by process of elimination. But in you, saying that, that list also includes teams that can absorb a $12 million player. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you talk about handpicking a destination. We... Heard that Jack Eichel wanted out of Buffalo. He got to Vegas and was very happy about that. Matthew Kachuk was more than willing to sign that big extension with the Florida Panthers. We had heard that Alex DeBrinkett wanted out of Ottawa to an American market and preferably Detroit. He got to Detroit. We had heard that Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted to get to Montreal. He didn't get to Montreal, <laughs> but he got to L.A. So some of the recent examples of these soon-to-be RFAs who forced their way out of their, for the most part, they did okay in terms of destination, which I know is ever more worrisome for the Canucks faithful and perhaps even Canucks front office and ownership. I've allowed myself to think of the Pedersen trade. And first of all, uh, shout out here on the poll question because we got a uh, terrific reply from one of our Listeners, have you started considering an Elias Patterson trade? Victor says yes, but the other one, right. not that one. Yeah, EPD yeah. might be on the move here as a Canucks well, prospect. Did you guys see uh, Daniel Wagner's tweet yesterday? You I did. Baited a bunch I of did. people. It's I did. so good. Yeah, Mike Mar- Martinego was so proud of it. He got him. They got him. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it in two facets. Number one, a superstar for superstar trade. A P.K. Subban, Shea Weber style deal. Number two, an Elias Pedelson for a collection of assets. And if it's door B, then within that collection of assets, you either need a frontline centerman or the ability to go out and get a frontline centerman. Because here's the bigger complication if we're going to play the scenario out on an Elias Pedersen trade, Jeff. And that is... You need a centerman to replace him that keeps you competitive, if not a contender, while you have Thatcher Demko under contract for the three more years, two more years at the great number, and Quinn Hughes under contract for the three more years at the great number. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. Does Is Lindholm enough? If you think Lindholm is enough and you're willing to go in a battle with Miller and Lindholm as your two frontline centermen, okay, maybe that means you're getting in 
a much better defenseman in, changing the balance of the team a little bit. But whatever scenario you paint on an Elias Pettersson trade, you either need a first-line center or you need the assets to go out and get that first-line center or get the stud number one unquestioned defenseman. But that level of player, and that is a very difficult trade to do. Yeah, and as I said, I really haven't sort of gone down the road of specific trades, but I do wonder about a team like Anaheim. And, uh, look, I don't know if Southern California is on the wish list for Patterson. Again, we, we just we don't know. Who wouldn't uh, like Southern California? The weather's pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, you talked about some of these teams that have made splashes to try to jumpstart their programs and teams that have the assets and have the cap flexibility. Uh, just off the top of my head, I wonder about a team mm-hmm. like the Anaheim Ducks. I well, know in division, but I think yeah. that... that kind of goes by the wayside a little bit. Well, you may be forced. Um, they have oodles of cap space. Uh, they the have... players are going to get ter- another one this year, right? They're- well, McTavish, Carlson, Cutter, Goche. I mean, you could make a case that one of those three guys comes back as your replacement center, right? Plus, you're right. I mean, likely a top five pick this year again. Maybe the top pick. Macklin Celebrini for Elias Pettersson. Uh, Jeff, who says no? <laughs> oh, boy. Reset the clock. You're going to hear that <laughs> phrase also. If you can get the stud young centerman in, I saw some Canucks fans speculating on Twitter about Adam Fantilli in Columbus. If you get the stud young centerman in, the one thing it does get you is it gets you more cap space, right? It gets you more cap versatility and more utility to be able to build on the team, or at least in the near term, until... The young stud centerman needs the big contract. Okay, let's get into, well, since we mentioned Lindholm here, Jeff, let's get into that before we get a little deeper into this Penguins game and Thatcher Demko and um, some odd power play happening mm-hmm. some morning. Yep. Skate. Uh, Lindholm is pointless in six of the 12 games he has played as a Vancouver Canuck. The team itself has been effectively 500 with Elias Lindholm in the in the lineup, he's had the two two-goal games, but with as a standalone centerman, not beside Elias Patterson, we talked a little bit about it yesterday in terms of does that get the best out of Patterson? We should really talk about does that get the best out of Elias Lindholm as well, because he plays the fewest minutes of his Canucks career outside of the game in Boston where he got benched earlier in the month, um, this past Saturday, um, just over 18 minutes. And you're wondering whether the haul of assets you gave up to require Lindholm is justified if you're going to play him in that spot. I don't love the idea of the package of players and picks that they sent to Calgary, including a first-rounder, to get a third-line center. Now, we've seen him play higher in the lineup Unfortunately, there just didn't seem to be a match for two guys whose names are spelled the same, even if pronounced differently. But Patterson and Lindholm, you know, you wanted to think it was going to bring out the best in both of them. That didn't really happen. I get this idea of the spine, and we saw it last year when Horvat was here, going three deep down the middle, and even Teddy Bluger on that fourth line. But you've got Pia Suter, who was brought in, spent the first half of the season as a center. He has been the Swiss Army knife, and that's fine. He has uh, done a nice job when called upon, but Leno hasn't blown me away. No. I thought he was all right the other night against Boston on that line with Baines and Garland. 
And five shots. Yeah. He was active. Now, there wasn't a lot of penalty killing time, and there wasn't a lot of power play time, and that was part of uh, why his ice time was where it was. But if you line the Canucks up the way, and it sounds like they're going to skate that same way against Pittsburgh, a line of Lindholm, Garland, and Baines, and is Baines a placeholder for Dakota Joshua, perhaps, like against other teams, you'd like to think that that's a, a distinct advantage for the mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks. So I get it. Yep. But we've talked about the fact that if you take the three centers, it does expose some real weaknesses on the wings with this hockey club. Yep. And, and that is an issue. And it, now there's time here ahead of the deadline. Can they go and find another winger if Lindholm was supposed to be a top six forward and now they're going to elect to, to use him as a 3C? I still, like, there's a world where I would love, like, people forget that P.S. Suter started the year with Garland and Joshua. That's on right. A, and Teddy Bluger, when Suter got hurt, Bluger stepped in. They did a nice job. But Teddy Bluger hasn't scored a goal since the game against Philadelphia on December 28th. P.S. Suter has better offensive chops than Teddy Bluger. And I'd love to see sort of come full circle and have a run with P.S. Suter between Garland and Joshua off that line. like I think Suter can do all the things that Bluger does, but maybe he has a little more finish to well, his game. It, I mean, it's not been without opportunities for Teddy Bluger. No, I'm thinking but, about the two opportunities that Archibald Baines has right, set him up but in you, front of the net in Colorado. It is a bottom-line business, ultimately. So, Lindholm has been all right. I, I think people have to remember he wasn't having a great season this year in Calgary, but he's two years removed from being a 42-goal scorer. So, I, I, I think the other thing, too, and context matters here, is he joined the team... He learns of the trade at 30,000 feet on a flight home from Cabo, packs a bag in Calgary, gets to Toronto for the All-Star weekend, and then out of the break, eight of the first ten are on the road with his new team. Like, it just has been go, go, go. And so he now gets a chance here to sort of catch his breath a little bit, settle in, hopefully, and maybe that will allow him to perform a little bit better. Because, I mean, that was a lot to throw at a guy. Yeah, ten games, and, and this is why you make the deal early to give him as much yep. opportunity to integrate forge chemistry with his new teammates. It's one point in the last five for Lindholm. It was an assist in Minnesota when everybody was fattening <laughs> up. Really, one assist in Minnesota is almost like a negative, yep. given how many points were up on the board. Uh, he's minus four and with two penalties in this five-game stretch as well. And as mentioned, coming off eighteen minutes and two seconds against the Bruins. Uh, I said the career low was against uh, uh, the career low as a Canuck was against the Bruins. He also played just the 16 minutes against Chicago, so it was the third least uh, uh, least amount of usage for Elias Lindholm as a Vancouver as a Vancouver Canuck. You're a little surprised to see Thatcher Demko, yeah, in goal against Pittsburgh. Fourth straight start. 10 of 12 now out of the All-Star break. And I was just looking at the math. Before the All-Star break, Demko had started 35 of 49. So 71% of the Canuck games, which was on pace for 58 starts. Now it's 10 of 12 out of the break. This will be his 45th start of the season. He's on pace now for 61 starts, which would match his career high of two years ago. But we all know how that ended for him. It was injury and an injury that carried over into the summer, and to the start of the following season. So, I look, I get that Casey DeSmith since Christmas has not been as good as he was earlier in the season. I also think, to be fair to Casey DeSmith, he played more before Christmas, and I think there's a correlation there that the more he played, the better he played. Now his workload has been reduced, and they're going to make him sleep on this. 
10. I mean, he allowed eight of the, the 10 in Minnesota, but it's Demko tonight. You'd have to think that it's Demko in a big divisional game against the Los Angeles Kings. First look at the Kings on Thursday. So Casey the Smith on Sunday in Anaheim, probably, but at some point he's going to have to get some starts here, Matt. Like, Thatcher Demko can't play every game down the stretch, but I do wonder, is this a reflection of the confidence now that the organization has perhaps lost in Casey DeSmith, who has one win in six starts since Christmas time? I mean, he was one of the good news stories before Christmas, but since then, it has been a struggle. There have been blown third-period leads. They're not all on him, but they're on his record. And I do wonder if the coach so, is a little bit reluctant now to go to the guy that hasn't been able to deliver wins at anywhere close to the rate that he did in the first half of the season. You don't see him Thursday against the Kings? I can't. Like, that, to me, the first meeting against the LA Kings, like I think you want to send a message. They're going to see a bunch of the Kings here down the stretch. I, I mean, I guess it's possible, but mm-hmm. the, the way that they've used Demko in all these big games, like I thought DeSmith would get the game in Chicago. Remember, the Blackhawks didn't get a shot until there were 20 seconds left in the first period. You're telling me that Casey DeSmith couldn't have given them a, a performance that night, but they went with Thatcher Demko. The other thing, too, and look, the numbers bear this out. Last year, I think there were seven goalies that started 60 or more games in the NHL. One got out of the first round of the playoffs, and it was mm-hmm. Jake Ottinger, and he wasn't great in the playoffs no. for the Dallas Stars. So I do think that 60 is sort of a magic number in today's day and age, and I don't want to hear about Grant Fuhrer playing 76 games no. or Roberto Luongo playing 73. Game has changed. League yeah. has changed. We all know that. Now um, they do. The schedule works in their favor here, right? Does they, it ever though? Uh, you look at them. Looking at all the breaks they have between games, including a three-day break. Yep. Uh, in the midst of that nine-game, and even stand. the other night against Boston, like Demko wasn't busy. Jeremy Swimman was the busier of the goaltender. So it's not just starts; it's the way the games unfold. Uh, I just thought a former Penguin time perhaps to give Demko a little bit of a break here. They snapped their, you know, if the losing streak was still in effect, I could see the pressure to kind of run your number one out there until you you get it right. But they beat the Bruins, and maybe this is wanting to back up the Bruins win with another one with your best lineup. Whatever the case, I do think for a team that's first overall, goaltending is worth monitoring at the very least here if it's not a true issue for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, 11 up on Vegas going into Tuesday's play. The Golden Knights with two games in hand. That's in the division. Three up on Dallas in the conference. Same number of games played. Five up on Winnipeg who have four games in hand. So the Jets might be a sneaky climber here. They've won three in a row. And seven up on Colorado with a game in hand. And then you look uh, over across at the Eastern Conference. you got Boston at 82 points. The Rangers at 81 Florida at 80 points. So, um, I mean, that's President's Trophy stuff. That's home ice in the Stanley Cup yeah. playoffs. Not quite as... West is so much more important way, for the Canucks yeah, than yeah, the I President's think, Trophy yeah, this absolutely. time around. Um, they, well, at first we thought it was experimentation. Right. But, Jeff, you went bug-eyed when you looked at some <laughs> of the power play arrangements from Morning Skate. Yeah, and not being in the rink, I, the the first tweets that came out had, you know, Connor Garland and Pia Suter out there with Miller and Besser and Phil Hironic. So set it up for them. How did he make it? How did they stack them on the power play units? And today? we have them on the screen here. Right. For those so, watching. so Suter at the net front, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, there's no Hughes, there's no Pedersen. It, was this just the first five guys out for practice that decided to work on the power play or something to that effect? 
because obviously Quinn Hughes is going to man a point on the power play, but when when they ran through two groups, so they had Miller Vesser, Garland, Suter at the net front, and Hironik on one unit, and then the other one, Quinn Hughes with Elias Pettersson, Lindholm, as we talked about, Tyler Myers, and the rookie at the net front, Arshdeep Baines, who got a promotion in Game 2 with Miller and Besser, took a step back to the third line the other night against Boston, but this is promotion time from a coach that said after Sunday's practice, I'm a big fan of Arshdeep Baines, well, putting the guy on the power play with Hughes and Pedersen. Mm. <laughs> is this overcomplicating matters, Jeff? Is there a simpler fix? Well, th- look, I watched the game in person in Seattle the other night when the power play got to 1 for 28, and you could see they were so in their own head. They took Besser, their power play leading goal scorer, off the power play at one point. They had Heronic for a couple, and then he came off, and it really was just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping something s- s- stuck. Now, they scored on the power play and beat Boston, but that was four on three, and that did not cure all that ails them when it comes to the man advantage. So I thought they had done all their throwing against the wall at Climate Pledge the other night, but maybe they wanted to try throwing things at the Rogers Arena walls here. Uh, this surprises me, but as bad as the power play, or as ineffective as the power play has been, I kind of understand splitting up your weapons and trying something a little different. I mean, the second unit provides no offense for the Canucks. Ever, right? Like McKayev hasn't scored a power play goal all season long. Uh, Garland's not much of a threat on the power play. Uh, Pia Suter has a couple, but I think they've come in different formations. Uh, so this is trying to spread whatever wealth you've got into two units as opposed to loading up and just hoping that those guys figure it out. I don't think this is the long-term solution. No. But again, it's been so ineffective for so long now, I don't really have a massive issue with trying something like this. Does all of this lead us a little closer to Phil Kessel? <laughs> Jeff, power play specialist who skated yesterday yes. with the Abbotsford We saw Canucks. Photo, photographic evidence. And does the continued struggles of the power play bring us closer to Phil Kessel as a Vancouver Canuck? Sort of feels that way. Um, you know, he's got a sign before the trade deadline. So pushers coming to shove here pretty quickly. And the fact that he was back, like, we wondered when Abbotsford as a team went out of town, you know, where did Phil go? We just didn't hear a thing about him. So to see him back on the ice uh, at practice for Abbotsford, to me, that's another progression in this story that he's hanging around town, hanging around the organization. And I do wonder, with players on long-term IR, is it about every day now just accruing dollars that, you know, can give them a little bit of flexibility, whether it's in the trade market or ultimately getting Phil Kessel under contract and into the fold here. So uh, when I saw the photos of him back on the ice, I thought that to me feels like this is still progressing to getting him involved. Uh, I want to bring this up because we talked about him yesterday. Brandon Duhame, winger with the Minnesota Wild. Frank Saravelli reported that the Canucks were checking in, keeping tabs on him. Of course, Minnesota not quite a declared seller just yet. Picked up by Jacob Stoller of the Hockey News, who says, further to Frank Saravelli's report, the Canucks being interested in Brand Duhame, they're not the only ones. If the Minnesota Wild fall out of the playoff race, I wouldn't be surprised if GM Bill Guerin is able to get a haul for Duhame. Lots of teams are high on Duhame, who is regarded as, quote, a playoff-style player. Um, he is pointless in 12 playoff games. I will note that, and Hall might be a little strong 
of a word here for a fourth line winger on what a million one is his contract effectively appropriately yeah. priced and a rental. But you talked yesterday a little bit about how he does have that sort of playoff pugnacity that maybe the Vancouver Canucks are missing. Look, two things here. Number one, oftentimes when there's been smoke with a Canucks target, there's been fire, mm-hmm. right? Like we heard Lindholm, they executed Lindholm. So we'll see if Duhame is the uh, next. And of course, a long list before that as well, including Carson Soucy. Right, including Teddy Bluger. The, we, we, we got distant early warning right. shots on a number of Canucks targets and free agency and on the trade market. So I'd like your take uh, on that. I'd also like your take on whether or not the um, Wild or if the well, whether or not the Canucks have that style of playoff shift disturber currently on the team and whether that would be a priority going uh, in ahead of the trade deadline next Friday. Yeah, I'm a believer that they are going to try to upgrade their fourth line. I just think there was a cry for help from Rick Tockett last week when I asked him about the fourth line, and he admitted that it's an issue and that the play has slipped there. I would think that every game now is, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe and Sam Lafferty on the clock. Nils Amon has come out of the lineup uh, and look, Nils Amon, maybe some penalty killing utility, but doesn't strike me as a, a, a difficult to play against guy in the playoffs when they get there. If he plays, uh, he's got size, but you know, when Rick Tockett talks about uh, board battles and identity and all those types of things, Nils Amon is a pretty invisible player on a lot of nights. So uh, Lafferty could play the middle, he has that versatility, but. I'm not surprised to hear a name like uh, Brandon Duhame linked to the Vancouver Canucks. I, I think that there would be some interest, and I think there probably should be some interest that Dee Giuseppe was a great story out of camp. I mean, he earned his spot, not just on the roster, but in the lineup. Uh, it was hard to play against. Winning his board battles, he has gone so quiet as well, and there's zero offense in Phil Dee Giuseppe's game now. So, you know, is being a penalty killer enough to keep you in an NHL lineup on a team that has designs on going deep into the playoffs. And I would say no, that you've got to bring no. more. And that's why Duhame kills penalties for the Minnesota Wild right. as well. So, you know, there's sort of that overlap that not only would you be getting a guy that's difficult to play against, but he also does what your fourth line guys are doing right now well, and could absolutely be a replacement there. I, I would say one of two things. If not Brandon Duhame, then a guy like him. And secondly... Maybe they go bigger game hunting. You get someone near the top of that winger lineup that knocks some people down and makes you feel a little bit better uh, about your depth on the flanks, which remains an issue. Uh, We talked about it prior to Andre Kuzmenko being traded and afterwards because Lindholm for Kuzmenko did not improve the quantity, simply the quality of the Canucks forward group up front. Okay, a few things to monitor around the National Hockey League here. Tyler Sagan, Dallas Scars forward, is going to be out week to week with a lower body injury. I bring that up because we know Mark Stone is out for a significant amount of time with a spleen injury for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, Eichel's out too, but expected back, Um, which creates a bonus cushion LTIR cap space for the Vegas Golden Knights. Jeff? It looks like the Dallas Stars may have some LTIR bonus cushion coming to them in terms of cap space in advance of the deadline. And it brings back the notion of arms race. How much are you willing to get involved on the big players 
who are available on the trade market, knowing that your direct competitors in the Pacific with Vegas have this cap space, have been going for it for years, or defending Stanley Cup champions, that Edmonton seems that this year is going to be the year that they pin down and get a little, uh, well, they went at home last year, adding a perhaps a Chris Tanev-style player, a Jake Gensel-style player. Where are you on arms race against the Pacific teams and the uh, conference teams, Jeff, if it comes down to it? Well, and just to add a little piece of news to all of this, and the Los Angeles Kings will be here in Vancouver for their first look. Canucks haven't played the Kings so all crazy. season long. So crazy. Four meetings to go. Adrian Kempe got hurt last night in Edmonton. He is being sent back to Los Angeles oh, for wow. some imaging. Uh, so he will not be here with the Kings. They play in Calgary tonight. So when they get here, it's the third and four, and they're going to be without, uh, we would think, uh, Adrian Kempe. So that's a blow to the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, the Dallas Stars. Although that one, Jeff, is, well, he's five and a half, so they, but that's that's, but just that's more less than, about bonus cushion and LTIR. No, you're right. It's just more, more about just another injury. scoring. Yeah. yeah, just another name that's been banged up here. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more in hashtags about uh, Sagan being out and the opportunity that that has presented others. But uh, there are a lot of people that think the Dallas Stars are a team to watch in this. I mean, they've put a nice season together, obviously. Uh, Chris Tanev's name continues to be linked to the Dallas Stars, among others. Yep. You kind of get the feeling that uh, Jim Neal realizes that uh, he's got a pretty good team there. Uh, so often general managers want to reward the teams for the work that they put in to get to this point. So, yeah, I could absolutely see the Dallas Stars being players here ahead of the trade deadline, and it does kind of feel like a game of keep-away, right? Right. Like, and a couple of additional things on Dallas. Um, number one, a friendly tax jurisdiction, mm -hmm. so the ability to take on a rental and re-sign. Secondly, and this applies to Edmonton as well, um, boy, for years they were together there as the best-in-class managerial group with the Detroit Red Wings. Jim Nill, the former Canucks player, GM uh, of the Dallas Stars, Jeff, he signs one-year contracts with Dallas and the owner, of course, British Columbian Tom Glory, because he's not sure what the future holds, so he just goes year to year. Ken Holland as well, out of contract at the end of the year. Could we be looking at the final seasons as GMs in the National Hockey League for Ken Holland and Jim Nill? And does that govern any of their deadline maneuvering? Do they go, okay, we're going for it this year. This is the culmination of my work here in Dallas or in Edmonton. Well, I mean, a lot of times we see self-preservation. We saw it here with Jim Benning yeah. in the Arizona trade, obviously. Um, I think the assumption is that Ken Holland is done after this season. Isn't it? Like that, it that seems to be – it's not talked about a lot No, but we saw, in Edmonton. saw David Poyle bow out. Right. Like there is sort of this changing of the guard. I, I think Jim Neal has done an incredible job down in Dallas just keeping that team competitive, uh, reloading. I mean, they had the one huge draft where they got Jason Robertson and uh, Jay Gottinger in the same draft, and, and that helps when you get uh, those Indeed. types of pieces. Uh, in fact, didn't they get was that the Heiskanen year as well? Did they get the three in the same year? Uh, whatever the case, Jim Neal's done a terrific job of kind of reloading on the fly and moving that team from Jamie Benn and, and Tyler Sagan to a, a younger core that has held up its end of the bargain as well. And so, you know, they've got Joe Pavelski who's going to be 40. He's going to be 40 this summer, Matt. And still going strong. They He's got incredible. Ryan Suter. Ageless. So it, like it's, a, it's a weird dynamic on that, that Dallas team, but through it all, 
Uh, they have put together some nice pieces. Matthew Shane's had a renaissance season there. Um, I don't discount Dallas. I mean, we spent so much time focusing on what top spot in the division means for the Canucks and a potential Edmonton-Vegas first round. Same thing applies for Dallas. Can you imagine if Dallas wins the division? You're looking at Winnipeg and Colorado meeting in the first round. Like, you want to avoid that at all costs if you're the Dallas Stars. So uh, the stakes are high, certainly in the Lone Star State. They did get all three of those players in the same draft. They actually got a fourth NHL player in that draft in fifth rounder Jacob Peterson, who's played 83 NHL games, although now with the San Jose Sharks. Now that is some scouting. (laughs) Three stars and four players uh, in one draft. Uh, The other thing to look at, Derek Forbert, Boston Bruins defenseman, missed a team function. He got benched in Seattle, scratched. In Seattle last night, in fact, uh, Suresh Parker Witherspoon is playing some uh, and and playing more for the Boston Bruins. So well done to Parker. Did he miss the team function because he attended the team function here? Well, you have some of the backstory here. Apparently the Bruins had their rookie party here early start on Saturday. They were always going to overnight here. And uh, reports are they were spotted around uh, Yale Town uh, having themselves a good time. Easy recovery and flight to Seattle on Sunday. Picked a good spot, one would think, for yeah. the rookie dinner. But then Forbert misses the meeting on game day and is an immediate scratch. Mm-hmm. And they're already without Hampus Lindholm. So, and, and that's the greater point here, Jeff, that I think Boston was going to go out and get a defenseman regardless. Uh, now with the injury, uh, Forbert was hanging on to their third pair. I would suspect you're going to see Boston and Don Sweeney get aggressive and go out there and get one of the better defensemen. Well, they certainly were last year with Orlov and Bertuzzi. So uh, yeah. they, that was yeah. joining an incredible Orlov, record. Lindholm. It's been yeah. several years now where they've gone out and gone bigger game hunting on the blue line. I would suspect you're going to see the Boston Bruins do that one more time. Okay, let's get to today's menu. And it's brought to you by a new partner here at Sakarison Price. Pleased to welcome Ben Moss Jewelers to the program. Proudly Canadian-owned, operated, history dating back more than 100 years. Five locations in B.C., Willowbrook in Langley, Coquitlam Centre. They're committed at Ben Moss to customer satisfaction. You can check out the large selection of Canadian mined diamonds, lab-grown diamonds, mined diamonds, available with payment plans that suits your needs. For more info, you can go to Ben Moss. Dot com Ben Moss for the love of jewelry. We're going to talk to John Shannon coming up here about Elias Patterson, needless to say, about who his team MVP is. We had that discussion on the show yesterday about trade activity. Uh, look at a couple of the Western Conference teams that are right on the fringes there of the playoff race. That would be the uh, Nashville Predators and the Minnesota Wild. And, of course, we'll talk about Sydney and uh, reminisce a little about Sydney. Because tomorrow brings an mm. anniversary in his career and for all Canadian hockey fans to note. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Uh, Jeff has already uh, given you a heads up that we've got some on the Dallas Stars-New York Islanders game last night and an old friend doing well. Uh, not to mention some more news or at least commentary on the Seattle Seahawks quarterbacking front. And then in our last segment, uh, our intern, Madison Buckingham, is going to join us for a few minutes and have a chit-chat. So that's the show coming on up. Podcast side, we'll have the welcome, Matt. 
Let's get to Sports Interaction Best Bets here, Jeff. Where are you heading? I'm going to the Cognizant Classic in the Palm Beaches. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but no. that is the name of this week's PGA Tour event. Rory, I'm going there, too. Rory McIlroy's in the field. He is the runaway favorite. So it's not the deepest field. I'm going top five for Rory. That seems well within his wheelhouse, and I think there's some value there. You can get him at 288. I'm taking a bigger swing on okay. the Cognizant Fair Classic. Shane, Shane Lowry. The big Irishman, although you may have noticed a bit of a svelter Irishman this year on tour. He has dropped some weight in the offseason. I think he's too good a player that he's now due for a result. He hasn't been better in 25th this year. He's had some good rounds, hasn't put four together. He finished second at this tournament a couple of years ago. He's driving the ball accurately, top 15 on tour stats. And that's important given all the water that's at this course. This is the bear trap course, right? Uh Jack Nicholas designed, of course, that's his winter home. Shane Lowry is 34 to 1 to win the Cognizant Classic at Jack's winter home, PGA National, down in Palm Beaches. He gets my bet on your sports interaction best bet. Sports interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino, custom props, parlays you won't find anywhere else, plus a best in class casino, thousands of games and live dealers. You can scan the code. For those of you on YouTube, and get a 200% welcome bonus from Sakarison Price. Of course, sports interaction, bet local, must be 19 years of age. Please play responsibly. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect... And I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. I can understand why Canucks management and ownership are frustrated with Elias Pettersson. What I can't understand is why they're baiting him. Yes, it helps deadline planning and team building if the Canucks know Pettersson is willing to sign an extension this summer. Knowing Pedersen will be back gives them peace of mind, allows them to target non-rentals by March 8th, players they can fit in a cap structure that pays Petey $12 million plus going forward. But that's a nice to do. It's not a need to do. Remember, this is the same management group that kept repeating that they have them for two more seasons of club control, pushed back on the notion of urgency on this file. Now, it seems someone with the Canucks is feeling the urgency and venting in the back channels. The nugget from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman this week, this weekend, that teams are calling and asking about Patterson. I just don't see how that helps the environment. Does it not accelerate the process? Speak it into existence, so to speak? As we know, Patterson doesn't like noise, and the Canucks are creating noise. Now, perhaps this is simply the messy process of contract negotiations playing out in public and driven by an irregular situation. You don't often get restricted free agents refusing to sign $100 million contracts and playing coy about their reasons or intentions with the simple response after the season. And so the wondering about Pedersen's hesitancy skips over the financials and heads into areas like organizational culture, teammates, fishbowl market, 
and the franchise's past sins, of which there are many. Because team performance, organizational performance, has done its part this year. And I know many fans, not to mention Canuck Sports and Entertainment, would feel lousy if he rejected the franchise after a season like this. At this point, the Canucks need to do two things. Number one, STFU. Give him his wish of negotiations after the season and no drama until then. Don't treat the trade deadline like a hard deadline and stop bellyaching to insiders. And secondly, start plotting summer trade proposals if he doesn't want to stay. At this stage, indigestible as that may be, it's a managerial requirement. Let's welcome Matt for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at sakarisonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 on Twitter at Matt Sakaris at Price. Joined now by the former executive producer, Hockey Night in Canada, the co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast, and uh, intermission Edmonton Oilers panelist. Jeff and I were both watching the game last night, caught up with our friend John Shannon, and then lo and behold, he shows up in Toronto this morning. Everywhere. After a red-eye flight. Boy, you're a man of many towns, many places, John Shannon. I got to stay ahead of everybody. You know, mm-hmm. they may catch me, you know. Yep. <laughs> Hey, what do you make of this Pedersen business that teams are now calling and asking the Canucks? What are their plans and if he's available? Well, I, I, I think that any any manager that's calling Patrick and Jim is doing his due diligence, but that doesn't mean there's interest on the other side. Um, you know, the you throw darts at a dartboard and one maybe one day one sticks. I I don't I really don't make much of it at this point. Um, you know, I expect Pedersen to be there at least for next year because they have that right to to have him there next year and but uh, man I still think they're going to sign him long term too so mm-hmm. I, I I don't think they're I I you know as much as it, there are there are so many phone calls at this time of year right I think there's phone calls all the time that managers are just doing their due diligence and phoning and hey what's going on what's going on with Pedersen so if if, if I phoned Patrick and said, what's going on with Pedersen, does that mean I have interest? No. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's no. a lot of that. Uh, I, I think it's in conjunction with the frustration that Canucks ownership and management is now feeling, John, with regards to the fact that he just doesn't want to negotiate and they're not going to get an answer before the trade deadline, which of course is mm-hmm. going to affect their plans or their ca- capacity to team built at this yeah, but, that, but that, you know, listen, that's what the collective bargaining agreement is all about. That is his right. And mm-hmm. then they have the right this summer to, you know, tender an offer that, uh, that they still control him for one more year. So that's part parcel of, of coming out of, you know, your second contract and, and holding, that, holding that ace in the hole and, and mm-hmm. some teams use it better than others. Do, have you ever heard that Elias doesn't want to be here? No. Okay. Have you ever heard that Elias absolutely wants to be here long-term? I don't think I've ever heard that, but um, you know, as soon as you say that, that's, that sounds like negotiating. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they want to, I don't think anybody on either side wants to negotiate publicly. 
John, you say that, you know, they've got him and they do. They own his rights for another year. But if it gets beyond this year and he accepts a qualifying offer, I mean, essentially, a foot is out the door, especially after what we saw with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. And I think that's the, the fear here is that the Kachuk thing is still so recent in the minds of so many hockey fans. They saw how that played out in Calgary. And I guess there's just this fear that a star player uh, doesn't want to be here. Like, do you understand the fan base and the angst in this market? I think I understand the angst in that market a lot for a long time, Jeff. <laughs> and, and, and there's been and, a lot of it. Yes. And there's been a lot of it. That's right. Um, you know, if it, there is so much we don't know. There really is so much we don't know. Um, and and as, as hard as we try and hard as we, we guess, um, it's sometimes just best to leave it. And I, 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 I do I do think there is a difference between the Pedersen scenario and what happened with Matthew Kachuk in that um, there is there are windows of opportunity to negotiate over the summer before the qualifying offer can get can be accepted. So um, and and you, and you have to look at the relationship between the agent and. Um, like CAA and 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 the team and and go from there as well. And I I think there is a good relationship between the two groups. They've they've had clients in other cities that have done very well under the circumstances and relationships. So I I'm I, I guess maybe maybe I'm being naive, but I I still think it will all work out. Um, just simply because I think that that extra year that the Canucks control is at such an advantage at this point. Hey, I think we all understand the angst in this market. 54 years, no cups, as Donnie always says, impending doom around the corner. But it it sounds like there's angst at the highest levels of Canucks sports entertainment on this, John. And I think that's what sort of separates this file, especially now, uh, mm. compared to some of the others over the years. You know, um, Jim Rutherford, no, it isn't because, because I think that Jim Rutherford has a plan and Jim Rutherford stick to the plan. And, and most of the time it works out, Mm -hmm. um, particularly with veteran players. So now there may be angst on the ownership side, but I, I, but Mm -hmm. I'm not even certain of that, but I, I don't think, I don't see Jim Rutherford getting two sorts over this at this point. He's a pretty cool customer, uh, Rutherford. When you speak to his plan, do you think that plan now has a second prong of life without Elias Pettersson and the no. sorts of trades that we would be considering if Elias no. tells us after the year he doesn't want to be here? No. Okay. I don't. Not right now. I don't. I know, and John, look, I know you've got a pretty good handle on this market. You're not in it on a day-to-day basis, but is it the most vancouver thing that coming off their best win of the season over the boston bruins on saturday that this is again the flashpoint in this market it's not surprising um you know and it's and it's hard you know when when elliot comes on the air on a saturday night says it um it reverberates and and you know darn well you're not going to get a comment from the hockey club. So, you know, the, the reverberations just sometimes they just grow. And that's the pro- that, that might be part of the issue at this point. 
Um, but I still think that in, in their heart of hearts, they have a plan and it, it involves number 40 being a long-term solution for the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. 40 contributed, but nine was the driver on Saturday night. Uh, what did you make of uh, a pretty stirring comeback? And uh, again, you know what it means to this market to see the Canucks beat the Boston Bruins. So to end a four-game losing streak, to do it on a power play that's been struggling in overtime, uh, it was terrific theater. I have, uh, I think the Canucks have given the NHL the best theater all season. And um, from, and, and to put it in context on Saturday night, I was in Edmonton um, and got to a point where I said, oh, Bruins are going to do this. Bruins are going to win. And were, and was walking out the door of my hotel room to, to go across the arena when I heard Schutze scores and had to go back into the room to watch the, to watch the end and, and see what happened. So um, I, I think I was as shocked as everybody and, uh, of what happened and how quickly it happened. And then the emotion in on the ice and the emotion in the arena uh, to beat the dastardly Boston Bruins um, and have it be JT Miller, who seems to really have recaptured the market one more time. Um, I mean, I, gosh, I, I, and this, I mean, Miller, Miller typifies and, and, and his cycles of what's gone on in Vancouver, in my mind, Typifies so much of what the fan base is all about. There, were, I mean, we were you were having poll questions. Do you want to keep Horvat or Miller? Mm-hmm. You know, and how and and there was never a doubt in management's mind that they were keeping Miller. They didn't tell everybody that, but that's that was part of the plan. They stuck with the plan, um, and then found a a buyer for Horvat with a trade that didn't necessarily work out as well as the Canucks thought it would, but it worked out well enough. Uh, for them to not have to worry about uh, bow in the long term. So um, he's, he's, and, and I mean, we all know how many times the Rangers tried to reacquire him um, at, at deadlines, which is just not going to happen anymore. This guy has become in many ways, maybe the most valuable player on the team. I was just going to ask you, Jonas, uh, you've spoken, you've uh, spoken about him with plaudits all year. Is he your team MVP? Well, I mean, not not. I don't want to sell like my old ball grapes, but I I think I told you that they were going to sign Miller and not sign Horvat. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, no, uh, I I mean uh, to me to me it's still Quinn Hughes or Thatcher Demko. I think it has to be uh, just the way you know hockey is developed. You guys know it's strength down the middle, goaltending, defense, centers. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's in that order too. So if you, but if you, if you told me that, you know, he continues on this heater and, and keeps going and said that Miller's the MVP, the other two are runners up. I wouldn't be surprised, but at this point, I still think it's either Thatcher Demko or Quinn. Hughes. Yeah. Uh, what are you hearing on the Canucks with regards to the trade deadline? Uh, Frank Saravelli dropped us. Brandon Duhame yesterday, the Minnesota um, energy winger, if you will. And, uh, by the, by the by, if you know what Minnesota's up to, uh, deadline-wise, whether they think themselves still in it or whether they're uh, moving on to become centers, uh, sellers here. I, I, Billy's going to wait until the last possible moment uh, to make that decision. Um, you know, the, you know, the, you know they, they have to jump over a few teams. I mean, the West, the wild card race in the West is getting more and more interesting every day, it seems. 
I mean, look what look what Seattle did last night to the Bruins. Um, although they're a little farther out, but I, I you know, I, I still think that the Canucks are probably focused more on what has to happen on defense than than what has to happen in, uh, with the forwards. Um, particularly when you look at the success of who they've brought up from Abbotsford and how well they've played. So I think they might think they can fill the forward issues internally. So then they, then everybody points the finger back at Chris Tanev and what's going to happen there and how that's going to work out. That really, he, Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin are going to be at the top of everybody's trade list between now and the eighth. Do you think they make it to the deadline or are you anticipating that Calgary gets what it's looking for anytime before the trade deadline? Uh, I think people would like to try it to do it now, Jeff. I think they'd like to try to do it as soon as possible. But I also think that there's so many brokers that are trying to play a role in all of this too. Um, because most of the teams that are interested in those two guys are at or over the cap and working within with, with LTIR or working close to the cap. So there has to be a broker to take a half of the half, if you want to put it that way. Um, so from from that perspective, I, I I think people would like to do it now, but it it you know for everything to get in sync is really the big issue. I you know I think Edmonton wants to do something sooner than later, um, and I think you got a sense of that when how they played against Boston, Minnesota, and Calgary. Um, and I think that there's a lot of teams would like, I think Tampa would like to do something sooner than later, but it all depends on who's going to help them and what they have to pay in draft picks or prospects, uh, to make these guys take some cap space. Uh, you long for the days where two GMs could just pick up the phone and, and make a trade. Hey, eh, John. Well, you know, there's still so you know this is the first year in a long time that David Poyle isn't uh, one of those general managers, and 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 about this time David used to start to get an itch that he had to make a trade deadline trade, <laughs> so one way or the other, uh, whether it was in Washington or in uh, in Nashville, David Poyle was always making a trade just because that was his job at the trade deadline, and that that Barry Trotz might be making trades this year, but. Not like David was always feeling that that was part of his job description. Well, Nashville's one of the strange teams because I kept thinking they were going to fade away. All of a sudden, they run the table on a five-game win streak, and they are right back there. So that probably complicates matters. And, 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 and by the way, how did they how did they do that win streak? Uh, I, I thought their goaltending was outstanding. Um, and all we hear about is that you know UC yeah. Soros is out the door, and I just I don't understand that. Mind you, I still don't understand why Matthias Ekholm is out the door. I, I mean, for him to be moved the way he was last year, I mean, wouldn't Matthias Ekholm look pretty good, long, you know, with with a really, really manageable contract with security for another two years on the Nashville Blue Line? I, I just don't. I, honestly, I don't understand it. I, I don't. I don't. What about St. Louis? Do you understand where St. Louis is? Uh, Pavel Buchnevich's name has come up here over the last week. Yeah, and there's lots of people kicking the tire in Buchnevich. There, there mm-hmm. are. There's lots of people phoning friends at the Rangers. What kind of player was he? Uh, lo- lots of people who were in St. Louis and worked in St. Louis have been asked, what kind of player is he? Um, 
we had Doug Armstrong on our show last week on Friday, and he thought he was only going to work in the fridges. Uh, and whether that means moving was Navich, you know, he, Doug, Doug's one of those guys too. He has a plan. He, he made the plan. He, he ticked off a few of his, uh, of his uh, senior players when he told them the plan, which means O'Reilly wasn't going to get signed. Tarasenko wasn't going to get signed. He lived with Cairo and Thomas and is pushing forward with those guys and with other young players. So, uh, I, I don't I don't see St. Louis doing anything drastic, and if that means getting win, win, rid of one player, then then that yeah. might be the case. But they're not going to do anything big. So basically, if somebody meets his price on Buchnevich, right. there's a deal to be made. Otherwise, it's a summer matter for him. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. He's he's you know he I I think that Doug actually leaves there ahead of schedule right now. And the fact that, you know, by firing Craig Ruby and Drew Bannister taking over and then going on a bit of a, a streak of positivity, uh, they're a lot closer than when, you know, than they thought they would be at this point. Well, very small sample size, but uh, attended the first Blues game at Rogers Arena this year. And my God, did they look awful. And then the second game uh, against the Blues this year at Rogers Arena, they were, they played hard. They were full value that night. Um, well, they, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I, I, we talked to Doug on the Friday and Saturday. They were in Detroit and were absolutely horrific. So that's right. maybe, he's, maybe he's changed his mind. <laughs> that's right. Woke up Sunday morning. Oh, oh let's check the game. Oh, it's three nothing already. Yeah. I'll tell you what. But that reminds me of the great Cliff Fletcher. Cliff Fletcher said you never made a trade after a loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of trades, we have him here tonight. And uh, as Jeff mentioned yesterday, it's only going to be so many more times, so we're going to see Sidney Crosby here at Rogers Arena and seen him so few times over his illustrious career, sadly, because of scheduling lockouts, COVID, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Do you ever see a day where Sidney gets traded? Only if it's Sid's idea. Yeah. Only if Sid, you know, and uh, I guess the best example to put it would be if Sid did a Ray Bork, right? Right. Said the end of his career. Now, Ray Bork was different because he hadn't won the Stanley Cup. That's He's right. already got three of them. Uh, um, uh, and, and that becomes, that really becomes the question is Sydney's loyalty to the city of Pittsburgh uh, and to the franchise um, and to everyone in and around. Uh, the, remember, the ownership group is different now. It's, it's not Mario anymore. Uh, it's, it's not Ron Burkle anymore. It's a conglomerate out of Boston that runs the, that owns the team, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, and the only the one thing I would say is that if Sid did say that and said, "You'll say, oh, I would like to have a, one more kick at the can," and it's not going to be in Pittsburgh, I think we're all agreement in agreement about that. That he would he would have to on his exit of Pittsburgh would have to say, "This is my idea." They're doing me a favor. Don't turn your back on this franchise. And that might be a big a statement for any player to make it at any time when they're being traded. 14 years ago tomorrow, buddy, in this building, in this town, oh, Sydney's I'll biggest be. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, listen, we were all there. It was one of the great events of uh, – of our time truly was I sat, I was right at center ice right in the middle of press row, watching it all. Um, scared every time 
the Americans carried yep. the puck across the blue line. Yep. Every time. Every single time. And Roberto's day. Yeah. All over the place. And and Roberto's glove hand was not helping my anxiety <laughs> that night. Um no. and I've I've said this before. It is the one game that I've ever covered where I had those sort of rush of emotions. John, of fear, as you say, when the Americans were oh. pressing, of angst, of anxiety. I think I nearly jumped into Arthur Staples' arms after Sydney <laughs> scored because he was my seatmate and then apologized to him. And he said, nah, if it was this U.S. who scored, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, um, what's more memorable to me almost is it was a noon game, right? It was yeah. a noon game. So the game was over by 3.15 Pacific. Um, and it took us about 40 minutes to get out of the arena. And then the party that really existed uh, for the rest of the day. You know, closing ceremonies are on, but the town was abuzz. And to be, to walk up, up and down Granville Street, to walk Georgia Street, to walk anywhere downtown. And you did do it. You walked everywhere. It was just fantastic to do. Hold on a second, Shannon. You actually remember the post-game party? I had my daughter with me, so I couldn't drink. Oh, okay. I was so restraints on your part. I, I will tell you. I will tell you a quick story, and I know we got to go. But so, mm -hmm. uh, my daughter comes out with me for the first week of the Olympics. It's school break at at home, and so I get her tickets and passes for the with the preliminary women's side, the preliminary men's side, and on the the second the second Sunday of the Olympics. I take her to the airport. And now she's not talking to me. She's she's pissed off at me. And I say, why are you so angry? You've just watched about 18 hockey games. You've had room service. You've had great dinners. She says, Dad, I should stay. I should stay. And I said, well, no, you got school tomorrow. You have to go home. And, and by the time she got home, she got off the airplane. She was in tears, crying on her mother's shoulder that, you know, it wasn't fair that, that I, I had to come home. So after Canada won on the Friday night, I found one ticket. I booked an airplane ticket, and oh, I flew wow. her back for the gold medal oh, game. Best dad Canada ever. Year, yeah. Best dad ever. <laughs> wow. So, well, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, just the and, oh, and the other great hey. part was on our way back downtown, is we dropped off and we sat on the side of the stage and watched uh, Jim Cuddy and Blue Rodeo on the concert on Saturday night. So. Fantastic. <laughs> and you owe her a, a big thank you now because because of her presence, you were able to enjoy and remember the party all these years mm. later, John, as <laughs> opposed to closing another bar. Yeah, or as opposed to the following year in 2011. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, <laughs> there was that as well. A another type of party. Yeah. Uh, marvelous stuff, my friend. Thank you for this. We'll catch up next week. Cheers, boys. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Mitsubishi, Re Mitsubishi Richmond. All in stock models, finance starting from 2.99%. You've all heard Blake Price talking about how much he loves his Mitsubishi 
Outlander, how rarely, the hybrid, how rarely he goes to the gas station. So check that one out. And plus the industry's best warranty. It's all at Mitsubishi Richmond and it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today asking you, have you started considering Elias Pettersson trades? Yes or no. You can vote at Sakerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. Speaking of Twitter, hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com. Jeff Patterson, mm-hmm. I'm going to lead this off. I All meant right. to get to this yesterday. But another successful Rugby Sevens at BC Place. And a result for one of the Canadian teams. This is at Tyvovo Digital covering rugby. Blackfern Sevens rule Vancouver. Argentina won their third consecutive men's title with a 36-12 win over New Zealand for the HSBC Sevens. And on the women's side of the bracket, New Zealand beat France to claim the gold medal. Canada claimed the bronze. So congratulations to the Canadian women. Uh, I see their 15s team is ranked fourth in the world, so perhaps a... Uh, opportunity to move on up in this sport on the ladies' side of the bracket. And, of course, Paris Olympics coming up this summer. Right, and I saw that there was a lot of international media, maybe more than in past years, here in Vancouver because... Because of the Sevens being a Olympic yeah. sport. And, and, frankly, it's been a great addition to the Summer Games calendar. It's good to get another big team sport involved. So, yeah, that, that's turned into a really good event here in Vancouver. So kind of a uh, kickoff to spring some years if the weather cooperates. All right, I got two from the same NHL game last night, Matt. So uh, I know this is a little, like I'm the guest. I'm going to pull rank here and put Absolutely. two in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is the Dallas Stars at Dallas Stars. Logan Stankoven, first career NHL goal on his 21st birthday. Pretty good night for the mm-hmm. Kamloops native, former Kamloops Blazer. And, of course, people in these parts are always going always to go Always going to remember. To the draft that saw the Canucks take Danila Klamovich. What was it? Six picks, I think, mm. before Logan Stankoven, who was having a lights-out season in junior that year. Just up the, the road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the... Uh, Seems like we've played this game forever, Jeff. <laughs> I know. The junior prospects yep. in your backyard. Yes. Well, they did take whether Cole it's Vancouver. In. They took Cole in once upon a time. Yeah, whether it's Vancouver, Victoria, Kamloops, yeah. Kalauda. Lots of them have got, a, yeah. got away from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the same game, it ends with Bo Horvat. You remember him. Mm-hmm. Scores in overtime. This is NHL Public Relations. Bo Horvat scored his third overtime goal of the season, which is tied for the most among all players in the NHL with Dallas's Thomas Harley, Montreal's Cole Caulfield, and Nashville's Philip Forsberg. They go on to say that Horvat became the third player in Islanders history with multiple overtime goals in a single season against the same franchise. Jason Blake did it twice against Buffalo way back in 0203. Brock Nelson a couple of years ago. A uh, pair of overtime goals against Pittsburgh, but Bo Horvat, uh, the two games between the Islanders and the Dallas Stars this year, and it was Bo that pulled the trigger on the OT winner. Two things. Big win for the Islanders if they're trying to stay in this Eastern Conference wildcard race. Secondly, Jason Blake, Brock Nelson, and Bo Horvat can all be thankful that Mike Bossy didn't get to play overtime. <laughs> You're right. Or at least yes. not in the regular season. He, he did here at the Coliseum once upon a time. But yes... Um, 
quite a list of goal scorers in that franchise over the years. At Mike Duggar, Sean, uh, Michael Sean Duggar on the Seattle Seahawks. Mike McDonald, their new head coach, was asked by Aaron Levine if both Geno Smith and Drew Locke are involved in the future of the Seahawks. Mike's answer in part, that's a tough question, and it's one that I probably can't answer right now. They've restructured Geno. They gave him the huge roster bonus that he was due. All those signs indicate that Geno Smith is going to be back. Perhaps they're moving on from Drew Locke, a free agent. And, of course, perhaps this is an indication that they are looking long and hard at the quarterbacks in this NFL draft crop, whether they can get one at 16 or whether it's going to require moving up for a quarterback. There was speculation, a report yesterday, that the Giants are looking up, looking to move up from their sixth overall pick. The Raiders are looking to move up and into the top ten targeting a quarterback, so it should be a very interesting quarterback carousel as NFL free agency gets ready to go, although it does seem like Baker Mayfield's going to find himself back in Tampa after a successful season there you know, that ended in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I drove down to Seattle last week for the Canucks and the Kraken, left here early morning to get down to Climate Pledge for the morning skate, so I got to the outskirts of Seattle, uh, I don't know, 9 o'clock-ish, and I always love to flip on sports radio when get I'm out. in other markets, and... You know, as much as we fixate on the Canucks here or the Seahawks in you know, offseason, and sure enough, it was that very topic about oh, yeah. Seahawks quarterbacks uh, in mid-February. Uh, honestly, Jeff, when you don't have resolution at that position, that is kind of the only sports story in the market. Um, it is such an important position. It is by by the nature of the position, your face of the franchise, so to speak, the driver of success in a lot of cases. And I, I'm very interested to see what the Seahawks do at that position, but beyond as well. Leonard Williams, a big free agent there on the defensive line after the uh, trade they acquired him from the Giants last year. Then this one's for you, Jeff, right. at Nuclear Golf. <clears throat> the hashtag legend returns after spending over a decade away from the game he loves. Mm-hmm. Anthony Kim will finally make his return to professional golf. AK has signed on with the Live Golf League. He's set to play as a wild card at Live Jetta. That is the tournament in Saudi Arabia. He was one of the great mysteries in professional golf. Burst onto the scene as a very young, very talented player. Very brash. Uh, very brash. Three wins on the PGA Tour. He finished third at the Masters in 2010. He finished fifth at the Open Championship in 2011. Uh, you cannot forget his appearance at the Ryder Cup in 2008 as part of that team with Paul Lazinger and the uh, U.S. Marine pod-style uh, right. management. Yeah. There's a great documentary on that, how fiery he was at that tournament. And then an Achilles injury, Jeff, and he sort of disappeared. I'm sure it was a difficult comeback trail physically. That's a big injury. You know, and one of the things we, we probably don't talk about enough on this side of the microphone is the tax, the toll, the effort, and everything it takes to come back from an injury like that and how, in some cases, it just crushes the athlete's spirit, right? To work so hard to get to it and then have a setback like that. 
So he's been away from the game at different times over these last 10 years. The inquiries about Anthony Kim, in some cases, one of his managers or friends said, oh, like he just doesn't even play golf. Like right. there, there is no more golf. No, in this he, guy's life. He's he, only 38 years old. Yeah, he went underground. Like, did he, he ever? It was hard to find. Even his friends were having trouble finding him. And you're right, he walked away from the game. But, I mean, at the time, like, all of those accolades that you mentioned, I had forgotten, like, top fives and majors and the Ryder yes. Cup. The sky seemed like the limit. I just remember the massive belt buckles yeah. that this guy used to wear. <laughs> like, he was. He it was, was all, the white belt era of the PGA yeah, but Tour he was, with the big like, buckles. He was right. all about the flash, but he had the game to back he it did. up. He did. He Live was... is probably a great place for him, honestly. Like to to mount the comeback, like yeah, I, and like his wins are pretty good too. He won the Wachovia, which was on a tough course. He won the AT and T uh, National at Pebble Beach, and he won the Shell Houston Open. So he had like he he won three darn good tournaments over a two year span, on top of uh, having that international success at the Ryder Cup and. Then just disappeared. Anyways, wish him well. Like to see him play well. Like to see him back in majors one day. Be a hell of a story. And that's hashtags for today. It's the Carson Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And you can text us 778-402-9680. And how about this? Join us live. March 13th at Park Casino, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. And welcome to Sakarison Price to Park. We'll be at BC Kitchen doing a show in advance of that game against Colorado. You receive 15% off the game day menu at BC Kitchen with your game day ticket. Park's just steps away from Rogers Arena. So come on down, join us, say hello, and sign up for Encore Rewards where you can get $10 free play at the Canucks Gaming Corner, that's all at Park Casino. Okay, poll question results from Monday. We asked you, is JT Miller the team MVP, Jeff Patterson? Yes or no? What did the people say? I think the people said yes. The people said yes. Percentage? 62. J-Pat, that is... Amazing. 63. Really? Did you sneak a peek? I did not. Okay. Scout's honor, even though I wasn't a scout. But uh, no. Just a gut feel. 63% said yes. Uh, A lot of quibbling in the comments. Many said Quinn Hughes. Let me read a couple in support of JT. Hayes says he's the heart of the team. He just is. Old school type of guy. And when he's dialed in, you love it. Doug says, this is a hard one. One might ask what the Canucks would be without JT or Huggy. For me, it's a tie between both of them, followed very closely by Demko. So interpret it as you as you see fit, MVP. I know a lot of people pick the, if you took this guy away, what would the team look like as opposed to who's having the best season. Kevin says, still Hughes, in my opinion. Miller's had a great run recently, but Hughes has been the guy for the whole season. We discussed that a little bit. And the shadow says to say JT Miller's MVP is true if Hughes and Demko weren't on the team. Are Canucks fans starting to take Quinn Hughes for granted? Question mark. And then SK brought up JT is now shooting 21.5%. It is team high. It's now higher than Basser. Remember, we had the discussion on Basser's shooting percentage. We had the discussion on Niels Hoaglander's shooting percentage, even Sam Lafferty. Right. And JT Miller has gone beyond those three guys 
on shooting percentage entering Tuesday's game against Pittsburgh. No, for a while there, the plus 20% shooting club was uh, it was a crowded place to be. But uh, uh, some of that has dropped a little bit. But uh, I, I hadn't even checked uh, JT. But he's been on an absolute heater since the All-Star break. So not surprised to see the bump in, in his shooting percentage. Tied with Austin Matthews in five-on-five five Is goals. he really? Yeah, since the break. Oh, you bring that up because of who's joining us Oh, no. <laughs> That was a segue. Yeah, Madison Buckingham has been hanging out with us for the last month from BCIT. You learning lots? Yeah, yeah, I love it there. I'm almost finished, though. It's kind of bittersweet. I know, back to school. Well, yeah, I'm fin- almost finished here, and then I have three months left, and then I'm out in the field. So wow. Wow. Yeah, the end comes, is near. Yeah, here comes the job market. <laughs> what do you think? Who's the Canucks team MVP? Um, I'm a Hughes fan myself, mm-hmm. so I think he's kind of been the backbone. But honestly, like you, I think honestly, my take on it is that to be a good team, you all have to take turns playing that role. Mm-hmm. And I and I do see where people are coming from with the Miller argument. It, it, it's a great point, and it's one that we've talked about casting forward towards a playoffs series or multiple playoff series. Could Demko be your guy and steal one? Could, you know, Miller go Ryan Kessler versus Nashville and, and be the dominant player and and so on and so on. And that's been the case in this regular season as well, I think, Jeff, that you've seen different guys pick up the team and carry the burden over the course of the first 60. Yeah, and I think for all the noise in this market right now around Elias Pettersson, like, do people not remember the first 10 games? He burst out of the gate. They did as a team, but he was on fire. And then there was the run in January where he was as good as anybody in the National Hockey League over a 10- or 12-game stretch. He has had two extraordinary runs that have allowed him to maintain his spot in top-10 scoring in the National Hockey League. Does he dominate games the way people want on a regular basis? Mm, that's open to debate. Does he take over games the way JT did the other night against the Boston Bruins? That seems to be the argument against him sometimes. But there have been some stretches here. And that road trip through New York and Pittsburgh, and with Pittsburgh in town, uh, he was going as good as anybody in the National Hockey League there for for a short stretch. Speaking of Sydney, 2010, the gold medal game, Madison. Yes. Do you remember where you were? you remember where you watched it? I was in middle school, so <laughs> I mean, probably at home. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was in a bar or anything at that right. point. No, I would um, hope not. Oh, come on, that would have been a great story. Oh. That would be. Yeah, right? <laughs> now they let kids in bars, but with parents, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, speaking no, of parents, your dad got you hooked on hockey. He right? did. He got me into sports in general. Um, he's a big Dallas Cowboys fan, mm-hmm. anime police fan, uh-huh. and that did transfer onto me. Wow. So what's it like being a Leafs fan in BC? Um, honestly, I'm not one of those delusional fans, so it's pretty okay. I'm not, you know, rubbing it in people's faces. Um, but my friends do give me a hard time because they're like, it's really hard to come at you because you're so real about it. Mm. Like, I know we're not looking the greatest this year, and I'll admit it. I'm not going to say we're the best team ever. Um, I do think there's a lot of strength on that team. Mm. I have a lot of fan favorites. Um, I followed it along this whole time, so obviously it's close to my heart. But, yeah, I'm pretty realistic about where we stand. (laughs) Right. And seven wins in a row right now. They're one of the hottest teams in the NHL, and Matthews has been uh, sensational. So what you're telling me, Maddie, is 
you aren't at home drafting up Elias Pettersson to the Leafs trades, right? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> Have you allowed yourself to think what a Canucks Leafs Stanley Cup final would be like? Oh, it'd be ugly. I know that much oh, for I know. sure. <laughs> I know. Of course, once upon a time, Jeff, they played in the Western Conference, right? Ugly. Ugly. You're talking about like the Twitter wars, right? On the yeah. Side. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. You think it'll be soft? Mm, I I think it would blow the lid off Canada. First of all, I think we would have to send out uh, we would have to send out missives to all our trade partners. Look, Canada is closed for these next two weeks. If don't we don't if we don't reply to emails, if we're not getting back to your voicemails and texts, there's a reason. Canucks at least would be the lead item on like the national. There you go. There you go. So um, what's uh, what's the dream gig? What would you like? to do in this crazy media world? It's so hard because I've enjoyed so many things I've tried. Um, but I think my dream job, as it stands, would be a rinkside or field reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's something about being <clears throat> on the scene. Like, I remember I went to my first Canucks game five years back. I know, crazy. Um mm-hmm. And she grew up on the island. Everyone. Yeah, give yeah. me a break. I'm not from here. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember walking into that arena and just like getting a high from the environment and just so many passionate people, both the players and the fans. And I just, yeah, I think it'd be really neat to be able to kind of be that liaison between this guy to your right, even after all these years covering the Canucks, you still get a pep in your step, Jeff, on game day and heading down. I the love ring. the game. The game is the star, the game drives. The storylines. And so I've tried to never lose sight of that fact that, sure, there are a ton of issues around the game at other levels, but ultimately, in what we do and cover this team on a daily basis, the storylines change from game to game. And yep. there is still, and so nights like Saturday with Boston, you know, over 82, there is a sameness to a lot of them, but there generally are six or eight or ten that stand out over the course of a season. And Saturday, again, was a reminder of. Yeah. I mean, it just there was so much drama there with the the losing streak and the Bruins in town and the struggles of the power of play, and it kind of all came together in overtime. And as I said on yesterday's show, I mean, that's as loud as I've heard that ring. So yes, I, there is still something about just being there for the event itself. And, and I'll say loud. this: been lucky enough, like when you get down to field level or ice level or court level. The intensity there is amazing. Like, it is just uh, environments that you just don't get anywhere else in recreational uh, or professional life. So we wish you well in that regard, Maddie. Did we have fun at uh, Gretel last week? I saw you had a big table there. Wow, you guys rolled deep. (laughs) We did. We did. Um, Yeah, I invited a friend, and they invited a friend, and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, we had the best time. That's such a cool venue, and the environment was great. Everyone was having a good time watching it, even though it didn't turn out how we wanted it to. No, (laughs) that was the uh, one thing that was missing was a Canucks effort that night. Uh, People got a little grumbly there in the third period watching the Canucks go meekly into the night against the Kraken. (laughs) Well, we've been delighted having you here for the last month. Hope you learned a lot. Uh, thanks for all your effort and energies, and uh, anything we can do to help you out going forward, we'd be happy to. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's Madison Buckingham. She's been with us, our intern from BCIT, over the last month. We always like to put the interns on the show at some point during their time here, get them a little uh, something to walk away with from the experience. Errors and omissions. You don't want to be on this, Maddie. Uh <laughs> 
couple of items. Uh, we fired the wrong clip, Grady. I intro to Rick mm, talk clip. Yeah. We fired our Steve Baines clip. We got back to Rick, <laughs> but we uh, did those in inverse order. Uh, Jeff, small one on you. Brandon Duhame is fourth amongst wild forwards in penalty killing time. You had him first. I did. Yes. Fourth, just over two minutes. Who's or did you fact go? checking me? I am. Really? Only because I looked it up myself okay. and saw he was fourth. All right. Amongst their penalty killing, uh, amongst their penalty killing forwards. Grady, anything from the inbox? Nope. Oh wow! All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder: subscribe to our show, Rinkwide Vancouver Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social: that's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. We're live on YouTube every day at eleven thirty, and of course. Support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.